You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. A note to listeners. Portions of emails and press releases are read here by actors. Episode 2. The Tale of the Two Marks. To go forward in the saga of Rebecca, you first have to go back a bit to 2012. Producers Ben Sprecher and Louise Verlenza had still not raised enough money to get their show on Broadway. Just two weeks before their cast was to assemble for their first rehearsal, Sprecher had to go to the press with his tail between his legs to admit that he had come up short. But he wasn't giving up. He was going to open his show that fall come hell or high water. Or... He was on the hook to give the money he'd gotten up until that point, $6 million, back to his investors. Sprecher had a money problem. This is what landed him at a Long Island diner with Mark Houghton. Houghton, then in his 40s, dressed in a flashy suit and a $40,000 Rolex, wasn't exactly the picture of wealth he portrayed. Just a year earlier, he had declared bankruptcy. Houghton was less than an altar boy. When he was 24 years old, he was arrested and charged with grand larceny after forging a $31,000 check to steal some construction trucks. He pleaded to a lesser charge of possession of stolen property and was sentenced to three years probation. Houghton spent the 90s as a licensed investment broker, hopping around to different brokerage firms in Manhattan and Long Island. In 2000, he married Sherry Johnson, And they were soon raising their four kids in a waterfront mansion on Long Island. And this is where things go from stealing a few trucks to Madoff-style stuff. And quick. And he's someone who, you know, he can look you right in the eye and tell you something that's absolutely untrue. And, you know, he can be very convincing. It was quite a plot twist. It was definitely a kind of wild curveball in this uh, saga. Yeah, yeah, the funding's going to be coming in. Oh, you know what? My guy, he's sick. Oh, you know what? Really sad. He died of malaria. Part one, Money Man. My name is Timothy Denon. I represent investors who've been defrauded in the stock market. Among those represented by Denon were clients Dennis Spina, Jack and Stella Patterson, and Lewis and Donna Pitch. Dennis Spina invested over a million dollars with Mark Houghton. 
he amassed this wealth through a long career in shipping. In fact, Spina delivered the first package on the very first day that Federal Express was in business. Jack Patterson, now 77, spent 37 years on fishing vessels. He'd be out the door every morning at 2 a.m., but not before getting his bagged lunch prepared by his wife, Stella. But call her Dolly. Dolly made a habit of taking a bite out of each sandwich she packed for Jack, so he would think of her on the long, arduous hours on a fishing boat. When he finally decided to head into retirement and sell his business, he made over $3 million. Another couple, the Pitches, invested $5 million with Houghton. But these weren't wheeling and dealing investors. Now, most of the Pitches' millions were in savings accounts and money markets. When that money seemingly disappeared one day, they called Attorney Denon for help. I get a call from a potential client, and the client tells me that he had lost something like $5 million. He couldn't, uh, didn't understand what was happening, uh, but he had the money initially in money market funds and savings accounts which is extraordinary uh, to have that kind of money in, in that kind of you know, savings accounts and, and money market and not have it invested and work for you. And you get a lot of crazy calls in my practice, and I thought that this was probably just another one of those. Crazy was just the beginning. Through the pitches, Denon was introduced to the world of Mark Houghton. The pitches came to Timothy Denon in 2009 The $5 million, which they were so scared to lose they kept it in savings accounts, for God's sakes, had seemingly vanished after Houghton convinced them to finally invest in something, a property that was going like hotcakes. But how could it have just vanished? It must have been a mistake. This was their good friend Mark they were talking about, not just their investment broker. When Lou Pitch's son graduated, uh, Mark invited him to come down to Florida, and he captained his boat with him all the way up the eastern seaboard up to Long Island, had lavish dinners. Their children went together to Europe. They would frequently come to their house on weekends. They were very, very close. They were like family. But as the pitches soon learned, friendship didn't really matter in the world of Mark Houghton. For example, Houghton's prized possession, a 50-foot yacht named the Hot Catch, had been paid for by forging his close friend's signature on a bank loan. By the time the pitches got to court against Mark Houghton in 2011, they really learned what kind of friend Houghton was. Just two days before they were to begin proceedings, Houghton filed for personal bankruptcy with $15 million in debts. Once again, he was off the hook. I filed a claim with FINRA in New York on behalf of uh, the pitches and assembled, I mean, it must have been 25, 30 boxes of evidence. And Mark Houghton was going to be my first witness. I intended to cross-examine him for at least four days. I had a lot of material, a lot of questions to cover for him. I had all those boxes shipped from my office Friday. And then on Saturday, the following day, Mark Houghton filed for bankruptcy, personal bankruptcy. Uh, it threw everything up in, up in the air. It was a, once you file for bankruptcy, there's an automatic stay. But I could not proceed 
against Houghton individually because he filed for bankruptcy protection. While Houghton was building his brokerage career and huge personal wealth for himself, he also amassed tons of customer complaints, fines, and charges brought against him by multiple federal agencies. By the time Houghton decides to get into bed with Sprecher, he had racked up a lien, a bankruptcy, stolen property charges, lawsuits for fraud, and 16 customer complaints all over New York. All in all, before he set foot into that diner, Houghton had stolen millions of dollars and racked up a pretty long paper trail of wrongdoings. But days after meeting with Houghton, Sprecher and Forlenza had signed an agreement with him to come on as a consultant. Their agreement paid Houghton a percentage of the show's profits proportionate to the investors that he brought in. By the time Houghton came aboard, the show had been delayed until October 2012. That gave the trio nine months to raise over six and a half million dollars. Just a few weeks into their partnership, Houghton brought Sprecher his golden goose. A group of four overseas businessmen led by a man named Paul Abrams. They were going to put four and a half million dollars into Rebecca. Enough to practically capitalize the show. Sprecher was thrilled. When a few months into the revelation that Houghton had essentially finished their fundraising for them, Houghton came back to Sprecher asking for money for various endeavors related to his new overseas investors. One such expense included an $18,000 safari that Houghton was to go on with Abrams and his son to sort out details of the investment. As the weeks turned into months and the safaris reaped no actual cash, Sprecher started to put the pressure on Houghton. He needed that money. Finally, in late July, there came word about Abrams. Unfortunately, all those African safaris had caught up with dear old Abrams. He contracted malaria in Africa and was in the ICU fighting for his life. Just a few days later, the bad news turned worse. An email from a woman named Jessica, no last name, to Houghton was dire. I'm sorry to relay such terrible news. Mr. Abrams passed away this evening, and the family has asked for your attendance at the services. Houghton was to travel to London right away to work out the deal with Abrams' estate post-mortem. Now Abrams was dead, and after more weeks went by, it seemed like the deal was too. So, a stranger comes into your business, and a few weeks after meeting you, promises that $4.5 million is secured and on its way to you, and Sprecher just chose to believe him? No questions asked? Sprecher never spoke to Paul Abrams or any of the other overseas investors responsible for 30% of his show's budget. The only direct interaction Sprecher had with these all-important investors were emails. And when one email came through accidentally referring to the wrong name altogether, Sprecher still didn't bat an eyelash. He later told the New York Times that he did do a Google search on Houghton and nothing came back. But in that same interview, Sprecher also lied about a planned trip to meet Mr. Abrams. It was all so odd. 
It was one step away from a Nigerian prince coming to give you a million dollars if only you sent him a hundred bucks first. This all seems so preposterous. But the only one who seemed smart enough to raise an eyebrow to Houghton was a different kind of Mark. Part 2. Where our Marks Meet Despite his six-foot-two frame, well-kempt silver hair, and slim athletic physique, Mark Thibodeau is hardly an imposing presence. You can usually find him quietly standing in the corner of a theater lobby, dutifully greeting members of the press as they enter a theater for one of the shows he represents as a press agent or publicist, depending on what area you were born in. Thibodeau came to New York from Rhode Island in the 90s and began working for the Fred Nathan Company as a press rep. Soon he and Nathan joined forces to open the publicity office, which Thibodeau still runs today. It's a fairly small shop, which now consists of just him and another publicist. Despite the size of his office, Thibodeau has racked up an impressive list of clients, among them some of Broadway's biggest, longest-running blockbusters, like Les Miserables, Miss Saigon, and The Phantom of the Opera. Thibodeau has been the pressman of choice for mega-producer Cameron McIntosh for over 25 years. Thibodeau and Sprecher had crossed paths many times throughout their careers. In fact, one of Thibodeau's first shows in New York was an off-Broadway show called Orchards that ran at the Lucille Lortel Theater, where Sprecher was famously proprietor. In the early aughts, when Sprecher was first starting to dip his toe into the Broadway pond, Thibodeau did publicity for three of the shows where Sprecher had invested. Just prior to taking on Rebecca, Thibodeau served as press agent for Sprecher's other musical that he was hoping to get to Broadway, a musical adaptation of The Little House on the Prairie. So Sprecher and Thibodeau were no strangers. Now it was early 2012, and the team had just learned of Paul Abrams' sad passing of malaria. Shortly after, Thibodeau sends out a press release about the death, leaving out Abrams' name at Sprecher's behest. The story of a dead investor canceling a show and the production's lack of transparency about who this investor was didn't sit well with many of us in the press. This show that keeps getting pushed back is now pushed back again because some guy suddenly dies? Sounds off. One such skeptical journalist was Patrick Healy, then a theater reporter for the New York Times. Thibodeau emails the show's producing team shortly after a troubling few exchanges with Healy. Thibodeau writes, He's getting huge pressure from his editors to find out the name of the mystery investor. They're feeling like the entire story is suspicious and potentially fictitious. And they're getting a lot of calls from vipers, which apparently means other producers in our business, saying the whole thing doesn't add up. The Times editors are concerned that they'd been duped into reporting about the dead investor. Are we positive we can't release the name either on the record or off without attribution? I fear they're going to come after us hard if we don't. Thibodeau was right. While Healy set out on a fact-finding mission to clear up all the shadiness around this investor's life and death, Thibodeau started his own investigation. After a little internet sleuthing, Thibodeau got really, really worried. 8.21 a.m., Sunday, September 23, 2012. Subject line. Confidential. 
Have you ever Googled Mark Houghton Long Island? There's been several instances of lawsuits filed against him for fraud. Everything I've seen or found in the past few days makes me increasingly more convinced you've been scammed somehow. Thibodeau went on to scrutinize the contract signed by Houghton's overseas group and discovered weird little mistakes. The name of one of the investors was misspelled. The street address listed led to a park bench, and the telephone number provided didn't even work. Sprecher calls Thibodeau into his office to tell Mark to quit with the snooping. We've looked into it. Don't worry about it. And please, don't tell anyone about this. We still need Mark Houghton to raise more money for the show. The only thing I want to talk about is our strategy for announcing we're going back into rehearsals. The next seven days is where the shit really hits the fan. Two days after Thibodeau's warnings, Healy's article runs on the cover of the New York Times. It read, Rebecca sees investors' fate as if dreamt. The article spills the beans not only about Abrams not being real, but more about how completely oblivious Sprecher had been. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. In the article, he admits to not meeting or even speaking on the phone to the investor responsible for millions of his budget. Healy hunted down all the information he could about Paul Abrams. What he found was odd, to say the least. The emails purportedly representing this Paul Abrams had just been created within the same month. Furthermore, the person on the other end of Healy's emails the person who was now handling Paul Abrams' money post-mortem, couldn't provide any proof that Paul Abrams had died, like an obituary, nor could he provide any proof that he even lived. Healy writes, Mr. Abrams has become a mysterious specter haunting the show, not unlike the ghost that is central to the musical's plot. Despite this bad press, Sprecher wasn't completely out. The angel investor, Larry Runsdorf, that came through after hearing of the show's first bit of bad luck, was still on board to give Sprecher two and a quarter million dollars. He was still in, but he was nervous. That day, he received an email from a stranger named Bethany Walsh. It is very, very important that you read page one of today's New York Times if you haven't already, as there is serious possibility of fraud of grave concern. A day later, Bethany was outed again. 
This time, she sent an email to Runsdorf's attorney, alerting him to a New York Post story. The spooked attorney reached out to Scott Lazarus, the show's attorney. I received a Bethany Walsh email yesterday. Someone possible in your office or Sprecher's may be breaching confidentiality. Who dislikes Sprecher enough to see to dissuade us from investing? There is simply no way anything but a leak would identify me as being involved with this show. With only four days until rehearsals were to begin, despite these weird emails from Bethany Walsh and the ominous warnings about Mark Houghton from Mark Thibodeau, it seemed like Ben Sprecher and Louise Forlenza had somehow pulled a rabbit out of the hat. They had two and a quarter million dollars from the very alive and very real Larry Runsdorf. And so, with a push to current investors to add a few more dollars to the pot and a bridge loan, they were in business. Oh, but about that bridge loan, Sprecher and Forlenza signed those documents a day after Thibodeau warned them of Hutton's shady past. The person arranging that loan? None other than Mark Hutton. My name is Philip Boroff, and I've been covering this story since 2012, first at Bloomberg News and more recently for Broadway Journal. There's an element of the story that doesn't really make sense, and that is that Pat Healy, who did an incredible job investigating all this, raised very good questions about whether Paul Abrams ever existed. During that time, Mark Thibodeau was also raising questions privately with Ben Sprecher, saying a lot of this doesn't make sense, the papers don't make sense. And he raised questions about whether Paul Abrams existed. And yet, after all this, Ben Sprecher is working with Mark Houghton to borrow money. It sounds as though Ben Sprecher really didn't put two and two together that if Paul Abrams doesn't exist, then that raises some serious questions about the fellow who brought you Paul Abrams. Despite the red flags, it seemed that Sprecher and Forlenza now had their $12 million. The one last thing they needed to complete the underwriting of that bridge loan, secured by Mark Houghton, was a copy of the title on a property that he owned in New Jersey. One piece of paper stood in between them and putting an end to this whole sordid tale. Sprecher and Forlenza weren't taking chances on any more delays. In a complete downpour, they loaded up into Sprecher's black 2003 Ford SUV and set out for New Jersey to get that piece of paper. On the way, Forlenza sat in the passenger seat, scrolling through her phone, while Sprecher drove nervously through the rain. She got to one particular email from their lawyer, Scott Lazarus, that was urgent. Larry Runsdorf had received another weird email from a woman. This one was named Sarah Finkelstein. The walls are about to cave in on Mr. Sprecher and the Rebecca Broadway production. It is a near certainty that the man Paul Abrams was made up several months ago to defraud other investors as a placeholder to give them a sense of security as well as the owners of the theater, the Schuberts, while Mr. Sprecher continued to try and raise money. When that money wasn't raised by August, Mr. Sprecher or someone associated with him came up with the story that Paul Abrams had died. Mr. Sprecher hasn't been able to come up with any information to prove that Paul Abrams was a real person. In fact, any information he has provided 
has proven to be extremely suspicious. It is inevitable that the truth will come out in a matter of days or weeks that the Paul Abrams story was definitely made up, and at that point there will be charges of fraud, lawsuits, etc. The cloud hanging over this production is very, very dark. Even before any of this happened, Rebecca's prospects were not very promising, and every major, regular Broadway investor has passed on it. With this prospect of fraud, an ongoing money shortage, a bad public perception, anemic ticket sales, and a rabid press corps, the only good reason to invest in Rebecca would be for a tax write-off and a desire to be dragged into a fraud trial. Just a few moments later, another email from Lazarus. This time, it was to inform them that Runsdorf had had enough. He was pulling his money. I'm David Camp, a contributing editor at Vanity Fair magazine. Sprecher is just sobbing to the point where Louise Forlenza said, you've got to pull over because, you know, this isn't safe and you need to collect yourself. They pull over into a McDonald's parking lot somewhere in New Jersey in pouring rain, and he's just sobbing and sobbing and sobbing behind the wheel while Louise Forlenza tries to comfort him. The pair drove back to Manhattan to come up with a plan. Part three, the poisoned pen. Thibodeau had had enough. He drafted his resignation letter to Sprecher. When you and Louise told me the entire Abrams story three weeks ago, I completely believed you and felt nothing but compassion and a desire to help in every way I could. But since then, I've felt nothing but stress. And as the days have gone by, the amount of questions have just grown and the plausibility of the story has evaporated. I tried to raise red flags about Abrams and Houghton, but you immediately said you didn't want to talk about it and change the subject. You've been nothing but a good guy to me, and I know what an incredibly difficult time this is and has been for you. And I really hope that somehow it can still work out, but for my own well-being, I just can't be a part of this anymore. Sprecher called Thibodeau and pleaded with him to stay on for just one more thing. They finally needed to kill the show. He needed just one last thing from Thibodeau, and then he could quit. Draft and send the release to the press alerting them to Rebecca's cancellation. Here's what Thibodeau released to the media. On Friday, September 28th at approximately 1 p.m., Sprecher and Forlenza were informed that an extremely malicious email filled with lies and innuendo had been sent directly to the new investor that morning from an anonymous third party. The email was designed to scare this investor away. And it succeeded. The investor withdrew. We will not stop our efforts to mount this show, and alternatives are already unfolding. We will continue doing everything we can to protect this asset and our investors. We have provided a copy of this email to the proper authorities, and a criminal investigation is already underway. If Sprecher wasn't going to believe Mark Houghton was a crook from what Mark Thibodeau told him, maybe he'd believe the FBI. A day after Pat Healy's front-page article in the New York Times, two federal agents knocked on Sprecher's door. They were looking for documentation on Abrams. Despite everything, Sprecher was still all in on Mark Houghton. But Sprecher's lawyer, Ron Russo, was skeptical. He had Sprecher set up a breakfast meeting for the men to see for himself who Sprecher had so implicitly trusted with his business. So... They go back to the diner. The same place they met Houghton for the very first time just a few months prior. 
to try and find out over eggs and coffee whether or not this guy Houghton is really who he says he is. Here again is Vanity Fair reporter David Camp. It sounds like something out of The Sopranos or something. It was a setup where Ron Russo and Mark Houghton and Ben Sprecher and this guy, Thomas Kelly, who is, who is uh, you know, some kind of law enforcement expert and can read criminal intent in people. The four of them convened in this diner basically to suss out how criminal or non-criminal Mark Houghton appeared to be. And then after Houghton left, Kelly turned to Russo and Sprecher and said, yeah, this guy's dirty. It's after this meeting where it finally hit Sprecher that something is very wrong with Mark Houghton. A few weeks later, on October 15th at 6 a.m., Houghton, along with his wife Sherry, were led out of their home in handcuffs. So were three others charged with helping with their crimes, including Houghton's own sister, Denise. A fourth guy fled. All in all, Houghton was charged in two federal courts with defrauding victims of more than $9 million, with another $15 million in losses that remain unknown. Following news of their arrest, details about how Houghton stole millions of dollars were all over the news. Other victims came forward. One woman, a childhood friend and neighbor to Houghton, remembers approaching him outside of his home to question where her father's retirement money went. She alleges that Houghton ended up swerving his car nearly into her the next time they met. As the stories of Houghton's schemes started to come out, Mr. Abrams even makes a miraculous recovery in a Connecticut real estate deal Mark Houghton was working on. The same emails used in his correspondences regarding Rebecca were used in that deal, too. In the summer of 2013, both Houghton and his wife Sherry took plea deals. Hers kept her out of jail. Houghton wasn't so lucky. Some of Houghton's victims were in the courtroom to witness his sentencing. One person was noticeably absent. Timothy Denon's client, Dennis Spina. Here's attorney Timothy Denon. Dennis Spina, right before the sentencing, uh, he came down with uh, cancer, he had pancreatic cancer. And I got a court order in South Carolina to take his videotape deposition. He wanted to be heard. He wanted the judge to hear what he had to say about Mark in connection with the hearing before the court regarding his sentencing. And that videotape deposition, uh, literally in in Dennis Spina's uh, deathbed with his daughter holding his hand, was played at the uh, sentencing hearing in federal court. Dennis held on until he was able to have that video deposition taken, and then he subsequently passed a couple days after that. He stole all my money, all my savings. I worked my whole life, and he ruined my financial life. He's just a crook and a fraud, and he will, if he gets out, he'll do the same thing over again. He's a sociopath. I would appreciate you doing the best you can in sentencing him. Thank you. Here's Bloomberg News and Broadway Journal reporter Philip Baroff. I think the thing about Houghton is that if Ben Sprecher and Louise Frolenza 
had done a little bit of or a little bit more due diligence about him, they could have seen that he had a, a long, long list of customer complaints uh, as a stockbroker, way out of the ordinary. And I know Ben Sprecher has said, kind of goes with the territory. But if you looked, you know, the uh, financial industry has a website called Broker Check. And if you look up Mark Houghton, someone might uh, see some red flags. I would assume that if you are a producer, you're raising money and things are going well, why bother? The due diligence is less important. In other words, he came up with the goods very quickly and I don't hold it against them for not being suspicious right away. It's when the dance started, he was really running them around, keeping them going for months that the money is just right around the corner. The money is coming in any second. And then there are all these plot twists and, oh, no, it's not here yet. No, this person got sick. No, this person died. Now you're hearing from the estate representative. So he just kept them on their toes. It's at that point that I, I wonder why they didn't get a little bit more suspicious. Part four, Guy on the Inside. A few days after Mark Cotton was arraigned, Sprecher and Forlenza filed a $100 million lawsuit against him, his wife, and the John and Jane Doe's who sent those emails to Runsdorf appealing to him to withdraw from the show. It wasn't until months later that another shoe would drop on this altogether insane journey of bad choices. In a suit filed by Sprecher and Forlenza, the John and Jane Doe's who sent the Runsdorf emails were identified as none other than the show's own press agent, Mark Thibodeau. That's right. Remember that press release about a malicious email filled with lies and innuendo, scaring off Larry Runsdorf, the angel investor? Well, in a plot twist worthy of Hitchcock himself, the guy who sent that press release, Mark Thibodeau, sent those very same malicious, anonymous emails his own press release decreed. Upon this revelation, Thibodeau had, of course, lawyered up. His attorney, Jeffrey Lichtman, said at the time that Ben Sprecher is now suing the innocent whistleblower with an impeccable reputation on Broadway who anonymously warned an innocent investor not to sink $2 million into the sinking ship that was Rebecca after he learned that the entire Paul Abrams saga was indeed a fraud. Sprecher's lawyer, Ron Russo, shot back. Thibodeau is just compounding his deceitful conduct by offering this preposterous whistleblower story. Plaintiffs had been the victims of a fraud perpetuated by Mark Houghton, and Houghton has been indicted for defrauding them. Any suggestion that Thibodeau was a whistleblower to announce Mr. Sprecher's supposed misdeeds is baseless, since Mr. Sprecher was the victim and not the perpetrator of any wrongdoing. In the years that followed, Thibodeau and Sprecher duped it out in court. Sprecher sued Thibodeau for breach of contract, wrongful interference, and defamation, asking for damages of $10.6 million plus punitive damages. Thibodeau's defense was that he was an innocent whistleblower who wanted to spare Runsdorf from investing in what he felt was a fraud. 
Both Sprecher and Thibodeau took the stand. Sprecher called the story a tragedy and said that the $5.6 million that he had raised should be repaid to his investors by the general partnership of the show. The partnership has an obligation to pay them back, but me personally, no. Of course, that money had all but been spent. So in the end, no one got their money back. Sprecher's lawyer laid all the blame at Thibodeau's feet. As for Thibodeau, he stuck with his claim that he sent the nefarious anonymous emails to protect yet another investor from losing their shirt. He said that after the Paul Abrams malaria death hoax, he came to believe Sprecher was either in on a fraud or covering up a fraud. Thibodeau's lawyer said, if you see something, say something. That's what Mr. Thibodeau did in this case. Well, I think that one of the questions about the Rebecca saga is how much responsibility does Mark Houghton or even Mark Thibodeau have for the collapse of this show? And that was a big theme of the trial in 2017. Rebecca Broadway, the producing entity, according to court papers, had collected $5.7 million. It had that money on hand. That was less than half the $12 million it needed to put the show on Broadway. Ben Sprecher and Louise Forlenza testified that they had commitments for close to $11 million. Here's Sprecher's friend and colleague, Peter Baudio, again. There's no doubt in my mind if Larry Rumsdorf had signed his papers and his check on that Friday, there would have been no problem with the show going into rehearsal and opening and the Broadway community and the world at large having a chance to see a first-class English language production of Rebecca and judging for themselves. But as I say, there are no guarantees, but the show was not only a huge hit in Vienna, but in many, many other countries. Basically, everywhere it was done, it was hugely successful. And so, in the end, it was Mark Thibodeau's scaring off, or warning, maybe warning is a fairer word, Larry Rumsdorf that killed the show. Someone who was our employee on our payroll, whose job is to promote and help sell the show. In the end, Thibodeau was ordered to pay $85,000 in damages and to return the $5,000 he had been paid for his time spent working on Rebecca. A far cry from the $10 million asked of him. He was cleared of the most serious charge of defamation. Mark Thibodeau testified that because Larry Warnsdorf got interested in Rebecca indirectly through one of Mark Thibodeau's press releases that Mark Thibodeau felt responsible that Larry Rensdorf was getting involved in this show. Mark Thibodeau said, at least in court, that he had it on his conscience and he wanted to warn off this man that if he's going to get involved with the show, in the show, he had to get involved with his eyes open. I, I think uh, Mark Thibodeau was horrified by all this. 
And I do remember that when there was this verdict and that there was kind of a mixed verdict in 2017, but ultimately, to a great extent, he was vindicated and that the damages that he had to pay were very low relative to what Ben Sprecher was seeking. I remember he, he was crying. He seemed very relieved. My understanding is that Mark Thibodeau definitely has a reputation as a straight shooter. He's a very low-key press agent. Another person who attended the trial was New York Post reporter Michael Riedel. I covered that trial. And at the end of the day, and I watched that jury, and I stood by Mark, you know, just support, to, to support him. I went every day to the trial to support him. And I remember sitting there and seeing Ben Sprecher, who was a sleazy, slimy bastard. I saw him collapse. And I saw Mark rise. A month after the case concluded, Sprecher tried his hand again in court to assess the amount of damages Thibodeau was guilty of. He spent the next six years in court, producing close to 500 legal filings. The pair settled for an undisclosed amount in 2019. After years of blood, sweat, and tears, Sprecher was left heartbroken about what had become of his Rebecca. This is from an interview Sprecher did in 2018. Rebecca was going to be the show that I really wanted to do it with, and that should still be happening. And through an unbelievable set of craziness, which include uh, this guy Mark Houghton, who's now in jail, who defrauded me. That was the first time I ever came into contact with a criminal and the FBI and the Justice Department. Uh, he's now in jail for 12 years, and the press agent Mark Thibodeau, who we're still litigating out with, who for whatever reason decided to uh, 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 crash the production at the last moment, which I still don't understand. I get sidetracked by this criminal, and then Mark Thibodeau, guy who's working for me, decides to crash the show under some made-up name at the last minute. That was a heart, that still is a heartbreaking moment to me because Rebecca should be on Broadway. As for Mark Houghton, he was in prison for what was supposed to be 11 years. He should still be there today. But things have a way of working out for Mark Houghton. This wouldn't be our last time in court. Oh no, not by a long shot. There was another, more sinister criminal conviction coming up for the Rebecca Crew. Next time on Burnt. It's so unbelievable and it's so, it's so fucked up. Just when you thought that it couldn't get any more evil, it turns to, that's what also has been going on. Like, it's pretty dark. That's really dark. He was smart, he was honest, he was very ambitious. He could be tough. He could be blunt. I mean, I don't think those are terrible things or crimes. And I think I think the press really jumped on this and shafted him in a way that is kind of unforgivable in its its cruelty and its meanness. This whole story is an opera of bad choices. Hey, hey, how's it going there, Blake? Mark Hoffman, I haven't talked to you in ages. Burnt is a production of Broadway Podcast Network and me, Blake Ross. Reported and written by Blake Ross. 
edited by Alan Seals. Supervising producers are Brittany Bigelow and Dory Berenstein. Voiceover actors are Miranda Plant, Alan Seals, Jake Smith, David Katz, Brittany Bigelow, and Rachel Farr. Special thanks to Philip Baroff. For sources and more information on the Rebecca scandal, visit bpn.fm slash BERT. The views and opinions expressed by the people appearing in the podcast are their own, and their appearance in the podcast does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent, and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Broadway Podcast Network and its officers, directors, owners, employees, and agents. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.